0: Well, good morning. Delighted to be here. Uh, It was 10 years ago that I was here with the men, and it's great to be part of your weekend. Uh, We had a lot of fun with the guys, and I don't want to embarrass them, but I do want to make sure that you know who your men were that were there. So if you're a part of the men's retreat this weekend, uh, Friday night and Saturday, would you just stand up so the church can acknowledge you uh, and your participation? All right, very good. Uh, a couple of the guys here are wearing the shirts that uh, that the guys all got, so thank you. You guys can be seated now. Thank you for that. Um, I tell you what, I I have had great history with a number of guys in this church. Uh, Pastor George and I actually go back 10 plus years. Uh, Jim Mason and I, Warren. Uh, Warren's been in my shuttle to the airport a couple times on previous trips into the New England area. And so today, what I'd like to do is... Uh, is I'd like to talk to you like I'm an old friend to all of you. I feel like these guys are friends, and I and and you know, real friends speak the truth to each other, don't they? Real friends don't hold anything back. And today, I want to be very transparent, very vulnerable, real with you, and just share from my heart about what how God has had me on this uh, journey of faith, and uh, and hopefully that'll be a great encouragement to you as we equip you today as well. Um, it's 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 it's. it's it's been said in Scripture, John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And so today I want to I do that. I want to do that with you. Uh, to get us there, I've entitled today's message, From Bondage to Blessing. And I guess to get the full context of what I want to do, you need to understand maybe what the word bondage means. The word bondage means that you are trapped. You are in captivity. Uh, You're in a a really bad situation. You find yourself constantly struggling. Uh, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it means it's an area that draws you away from God, an area that draws you away from sweet fellowship with God. It disrupts that relationship that you have with Him. Uh, Obviously, an area of bondage is not an uplifting place. And, And I believe if you do not specifically address areas of bondage in your life, uh, literally, it could be your very undoing, your very demise. It could, it could literally kill you. Now, what do I mean when I talk about the word bondage? What are some areas that maybe we can get right in the middle of the story? An area of bondage might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be smoking. It, it might be uh, you're a workaholic. Uh, workaholism might be an area of bondage for you. It could be grief or anger or rage issues. Uh, Perhaps it's it's foul language that comes out of your mouth. Uh, These days, it may be a sexual addiction. Of course, we know the internet pornography and all the temptations and everything that's thrown at us. That might be an area of bondage for us. It might be insecurity or gambling. It might be procrastination. Maybe you're a control freak. Maybe that's uh, an area of bondage that you find yourself in. Uh, Perhaps it's overeating or overspending. You know, I know so many people are battling financial peril. I mean, they're on the, the brink of bankruptcy and massive credit card debt and just really struggling financially. That could be an area of bondage. Maybe it's fear issues. Maybe it's an anxiety issue. Uh, maybe it's abuse, uh, either physical or mental abuse that you're experiencing. Maybe it's codependency or perfectionism. Uh, maybe it's hurtful relationships. Maybe, maybe you have an issue with honesty, lying, gossip, slander, all those types of issues. Maybe it's an eating disorder. I, I, I was recently with a guy, and he said, Rod, my area of bondage is I'm, uh, I fall prey to those network marketing schemes. Every get-rich scheme that comes down the pike, I think this is the one that's going to solve my problem. And he finds himself in, in, in areas that, that just just him really, really sideswiped. I've got a friend who told me, Rod, my area of bondage is I just watch too much TV. And I find myself just with that remote in my hand, I'm trapped, and I, I can't get off the couch, and it just, it consumes me, and it's, it leads me places that is not a healthy place to live. Those are areas of potential bondage, areas that I believe, if you, do not, if you do not address them, again, they could eventually kill you if you don't get them under control. Here's a couple of key questions to ponder before we get to the passage of Scripture that I want to point out to you today. Are you in bondage? Are you in captivity? Uh, to maybe some of the areas that I listed above, and for the record, I will tell you that three of those areas I listed I have struggled with over the history of my life. I'll, I'll dive into those gory details in a few minutes. But maybe a more important question than are you in bondage is do you believe God wants you to remain in bondage? Do you believe God wants you to remain in this area that, that has you trapped and has you in captivity? Well, I believe God does not want you to remain in bondage, and He has literally a blessing, a promised land that He wants to send you to, 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 to have that not be part of, of your life anymore. And to do this story justice, I'm going to use uh, the backdrop of Joshua 10, and let me tell you how we get to this point in the story. Of course, the most famous bondage story in all of Scripture is uh, the story of, of Israel being held in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. You remember when they arrived, it was, it was a pretty good place. But over the, the years that went by, it became a very miserable place for them. And they were crying out to God for a deliverer. They were saying, God, you know, didn't you promise our forefathers that there was a, a, a place flowing with milk and honey? This is not that place. This is a bad place. This is not good. We want out of this place. And they were crying out for a deliverer. And as you remember, that deliverer was, was Moses who eventually came. And Moses successfully, through a, a a lot of different efforts, got the Pharaoh to finally release them. You know about that situation. It, it took a lot of uh, a lot of events occurred to finally convince Pharaoh to let them go. And when they finally got out of that country, remember they approached Mount Sinai, got the commandments of God, and then they began this wandering and did a several laps around Mount Sinai. It was not a good situation, forty years uh, of, of issues that they went through, but eventually got to the Jordan River. Eventually, he crossed into this land, and they initially had all these incredible victories, but now, in Joshua chapter 10, they are in a very dicey situation. A very, very important uh, sequence of events are about to occur, and that's where we pick up this story, beginning in verse 5. Here's how it reads. So the five kings of the Amorites... The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachis, the king of Eglon, they gathered together and went up, they with their armies, camped by Gibeon and fought against it. And then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. Verse 7, so Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people who were with him and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Betharon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Maqueda. And they fled before Israel while they were at the descent of Bethron, And the Lord flew, threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord. In the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, O moon in the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar, and the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day? There was no day like it before it or after when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. We see in these verses five specific things that Joshua did that Joshua did to move the, this, this nation from a very, very bad place to a very, very good place. A land of bondage to a land of blessing. And the very first thing we see, and we see it in verse 5 and 6, is Joshua defined his enemy. He identified his enemy. The enemies that he had were five very specific Amorite kings. And ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to have success if we're going to experience the blessing, the first thing we need to do is identify who our enemy is. Who our enemy is. Now, I have, uh, uh, I have a feeling that some of you here today may believe that your spouse is your enemy, or your kid is your enemy, or your, or your boss is your enemy, or, or a coworker is your enemy. I want to assure you that those people are not your enemy. <laughs> we have an enemy, a single enemy that we are up against. His name is Satan. He is the enemy. And Satan's ammo is destri- described in Scripture as to, come, to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's defined in 1 Peter 5 as he prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you and I today are, 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 um, need to know that he is the enemy. And you know what? It's clear in Scripture that he is the enemy. He's talked about in the Old and New Testament. The Gospel writers wrote about him. Uh, Peter, Paul, Moses, and David all knew he existed and covered him. Zechariah and Job experienced him firsthand. He goes by many titles in Scripture. He's known as Satan, the the devil, Abaddon, the accuser, the adversary. He's known as, as Apollon, Beelzebul, Belial. He's known as the deceiver of the world, the dragon, the serpent of old. The enemy, the evil one, the father of lies. He's referred to as the liar, the murderer, the God of this world, the prince of the air, the ruler of the demons, the ruler of the world, the serpent, the titles go on and on and on. And yet, in spite of these many, many references, Old and New Testament, there are many people who proclaim to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and yet they do not believe Satan is real. In fact, there was a Barna survey done recently... And here was one of the stats that caught my attention in the article. Of those who proclaim to be believers in Jesus Christ, only 25% said that he is real. And over two-thirds of the respondees said he is not real, or I'm not sure if he's real or not. These are professing believers that said that. Here's the quote I pulled out of that particular observation. It said this, Many believers claim to trust what the Bible teaches, but they reject the notion of a real spiritual adversary. Satan has done a masterful job of convincing us that he does not exist. He is not real. A masterful job of that. But be forewarned. Be forewarned he is real and he is the enemy. You know, many many years ago, I played college football. Uh, we were not a very good team. Uh, that's probably why I got to play a little bit. Um, you know, and and we needed every competitive advantage we could get to compete on a Saturday. And so we would send out advanced scouts to to scout our opponents before we played them, and they would compile a summary of their key players, their key formations, uh, 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 everything we could get about them, their tendencies, so that we could maybe somehow, some way, compete on Saturday against them. We picked up this notebook on Monday morning in our, at the coach's office, and we were we were very high expectations that we would know everything we could about our opponents before Saturday's game. And our coaches were so serious about it, on Thursday they would give us a written exam uh, on what we were to be studying all week, and if we did not pass that exam, if we did not do well, our chances of playing on Saturday seriously decreased. There was an expectation that we knew our opponent. We knew our enemy. And ladies and gentlemen, we too need to know our enemy. And we need to know the strategies that our enemy has. His tendencies and how, what he's going to do to to woo us and to sway us and to lead us down paths of destruction. We need to know that. The list I gave you earlier, the laundry list of all those areas of bondage, uh, there's a lot of things on there that I am not tempted by in the least. Praise God. I'm glad I don't have 50 things I'm struggling with. I have three on that list that I have history with. And I told the men this weekend who were part of our, of our, of our retreat that, that pornography, gambling, and weight loss, I've struggled with my whole life. I, I know what I'm capable of doing. And so some of these areas, praise God, have not attacked me. But some of those, those three, particularly, I have history with. And I know for myself that, that, that when I'm most susceptible to those things emerging in my life is, is an acronym that we develop called HALTS. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed out. When I'm in one of those five places, or maybe the combination of all of them, I, that my potential to go down a bad path increases greatly. And so, literally, when I find myself in a a bad spot or in 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 one of those areas, I will scream the word halt (laughs) as a reminder. I don't need to go there. I'm setting up defense mechanisms, strategies, because I know this is an attack of the enemy and I need to be forewarned and ready for the onslaught that may be coming later. Do you know your enemy? Do you know your weak spot? Do you know your Achilles heel? an area where you find yourself tripping up and, and stumbling and falling time and time and time again? If you're going to have success today, you've got to know your enemy and you've got to know his strategies. That's what Joshua knew here. Here's the second thing that Joshua did. We see this in verses 7 through 9. Joshua declared war against his enemy. Let me give you the context of this passage just so you can appreciate it. Gilgal, from where they were at, was a 26-mile uphill journey. And notice from the text that they made this journey in the middle of the night. This is not an easy deal. Uphill, nighttime, carrying equipment, carrying their their swords, and they made this journey at night. I mean, that, you've got to appreciate... These guys were committed, weren't they? This wasn't just kind of a random walk in the, you know, out there. They knew exactly what they were up against, and they declared war on their enemy, and they got there. And so I've got to ask you this question. When's the last time you walked 26 miles uphill at night to go face your enemy? When's the last time you've done that? You see, what I've found out throughout the years, and I know this is true in my case, sometimes we have, a, we have this disease called give-it-up-itis. And we have a, a mindset, well, you know... My dad struggled with this. My granddad struggled with this. This is a family problem. I've tried to attack this area of bondage. But you know what? I just can't get out of it. I'm in the quicksand and I can't get out. And we literally throw in the towel and say, you know what? I'm not able to do this. And we literally do not declare war against our enemy. I'm convinced I'm absolutely convinced that if we're going to have this second step in this area of moving from the land of bondage to the land of blessing, we need to get serious about it. And a word that I use and a word that scares a lot of people is this word commitment. Really committing. Really getting serious. What do I need to do to, to engage in the battle? What do I, am, I, am I really going to get into it? One of the words we used this weekend with the men was the word covenant. Uh, the word covenant is a scary word for guys. It's, it's stepping up and saying, I'm going to agree to something. I'm going to commit to something. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to allow this to go on anymore. I'm going I'm I'm to build some bonds, build a bridge, and do whatever it takes. One of the words we talked about as well this weekend was the word accountability. And again, that's another scary word for a lot of us. Because that means you invite somebody in to your struggle. You share openly and transparently, I am struggling here. Will you ask me the hard questions? Will you point out my blind spots? Will you pray for me? Will you help me get serious? About it? And I believe when someone makes a covenant, makes a commitment, when they ask somebody to be accountable, guess what? They're declaring war. They're saying, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of heading down this path and I want to, I want to change. And will you aid me in the process of bringing change to my, to my area? one of the things that we uh, shared with the guys was we shared three different um, sets of accountability card questions that we've designed to assist in the process. Um, Most of the time when we interact relationally with people, uh, to be quite honest, uh, it's very superficial, very surfacey. For men, we're really good at three areas, news, sports, and weather. We do that really good. But below the surface issues, you know, our use of time and money, what, we're, what our secret thought life is, what 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 are what our disappointments are, what our fears and frustrations, we man, we just we don't go there, and so we designed some questions, a blue set of questions specifically for men to help them get into the real issues. Ten key questions. We worked with some women on designing a set of questions for the women, the yellow card that we have. And then we worked with some teenagers and came up with some really cool teenager questions. Um, by the way, I made these available all weekend to the men, uh, and they wiped out all my women cards. So I have uh, no women cards left. So ladies, uh, they're they're, they're going to come. But I told them, no, no, don't don't hand them to your wives. Live out the blue card first before you go pass this on to him. But uh, but I have a few extra team cards and a few extra men cards on my back table. You can come back there. And there is a website address. You can go get those questions. They're not the, by the way, they're not the magic questions. But what they are, they help you provide a forum where you know I'm going to declare war and I'm going to invite somebody in to help me do that. I'm going to invite somebody to do that with me along the way. You know, I'm not going to get into the gory details of the story the men who were there in the retreat can tell you, but I mentioned that pornography was one of my areas. And I want to tell you, I'm on the backside of a 20-year victory run being free from pornography. And the reason I'm free today was I invited accountability in my life. I told some men, I don't want to keep living this way. Will you help me? Will you walk with me? Will you challenge me to be the man of God I want to be? And so I can tell you firsthand, freedom and victory is available. And it happens when you declare war on your enemy. I'm going to get serious about this. One of my other challenges was my weight loss. It was uh, three, four years ago. I went to the doctor. I was feeling kind of weird. He did some testing on me, did some blood work, and said, hey, Rod, you are pre-diabetic, and the main culprit is your weight. If you don't get us under control, I cannot predict what the future is going to be. Well, that was, a, that was an eye-opener, an attention-getter. And so I went to my church, found some other fat guys that uh, I knew. I said, I need some help in this area. You need some help as well. And we formed a brand-new accountability group. We, call, we called our group the Fit Five. And here's the reason we called it the Fit Five. We met at 5 a.m. on Thursday mornings, five of us for the purposes of being spiritually and physically fit. We were so serious about our commitment to lose weight, we brought a weigh scale to the meeting. Had a weekly weigh-in. And I can tell you that there were mornings I woke up at oh dark 30 wondering, why am I doing this? I don't like this group. I don't like the time of day. I don't like the fact the weight, the scale is going to be there. But I declared war. I declared war on my enemy." And praise God, 40 weeks after that group started, I had lost 40 pounds as a result of the Fit Five. I declared war. Some of us need to do that. Not to fall prey to the give it up-itis. Oh, I've always been that way. I can never change. We say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to get after it. That's what Joshua did. Here's what we see the third thing he did. He demonstrated fearless faith. He demonstrated fearless faith. There's a very, very important principle that we need to understand with this one. God speaks and I obey. No matter how crazy it may sound to my finite human mind. There are some times, folks, that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We sometimes may not be able to figure Him out. And all He says to us is, are you going to trust me? Are you going to obey me? Are you going to believe me? Are you going to put your faith in me? Yeah, I may not do it the conventional way. I may have a, a route and a plan that you never thought of, but the key thing, you need to trust me. Now Joshua had experience with this one. You might remember a few chapters earlier in the book, uh, chapter 6 specifically, Joshua and his, and his army approached the, the, this fortified city called Jericho. And they went to the Lord and says, Okay, Lord, what is the game plan for this particular victory you're going to give us? And here's what God said to them. Lay down your weapons. And in addition to laying down the weapons, for the next six days, you're going to do a daily march around the city of Jericho. And then on day seven, after your march is done, then you're going to blow trumpets. And that's how the walls are going to fall down. And think about it. Think, just think about it from this context. Can you imagine Joshua going back to the army and telling them that's what they're going to do? They must have thought, Joshua, you've been in the sun way too long. I mean, you we're laying down the weapons. We're doing this silly march. We're blowing trumpets. That's how we're going to win this battle? And Joshua said, that's how we're going to win the battle. And so guess what? They obeyed what God said to do. They obeyed the silly unconventional, crazy plan that God had. And guess what happened? The walls tumbled down. You see, when God speaks, do we obey? When God says, I want you to do something, do we do we fight him? Do we resist him? We say, no, God, I got a different plan. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it my way. You just sit on the sideline. You go, you watch what No, he says, you need to obey me. You need to trust me. I'm reminded of that great song Trust and Obey. Great classic hymn. We put the words in the PowerPoint just so you can be reminded of these tremendous lyrics. Verse 1 says it this way, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Verse 2, Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, But our toil He doth richly repay, not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. And in verse 3, it gets really, really personal for us. But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor He shows and the glory He bestows are for them who will trust and obey. And then finally, verse 4. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at His feet. We'll walk by His side in the way. What He says, we will do. Where He sins, we will go. Never fear, never fear, never fear. Only trust and obey. And then that great chorus line. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Do you have fearless faith? Do you believe God can pull you out of whatever situation you're in? Have you tried to do it on your own and found yourself frustrated and disappointed and delusioned, thinking I'll never get out of this? Or have you said, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of my I'm gonna put everything into you? I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm not going to be fearful anymore. I'm going to to trust that you have a plan, a good plan, and I'm going to allow you to be God in my life. That's exactly what Joshua did here. The fourth thing he did was this. He became disciplined in his efforts. He became disciplined in his efforts. Just Just a quick little tangent here. Anything you do that is good and positive and worthy and going to bring glory to God expect opposition expect a battle that's the reality if you're doing really really positive things for the kingdom of god guess what you're going to be in a fight the enemy doesn't like it he doesn't like it so anticipate the opposition and in the middle of this fight and we see Joshua and his people are in the middle of the fight you're you're going to you're going to have to get engaged You're going to have to get engaged and be aggressive and focused. And this word discipline is going to need to be a word that you're going to need to embrace. Now, I know discipline is hard. I know discipline can be potentially frustrating. But look at the quote up at the bottom. Discipline weighs ounces, regrets weigh tons. You see, a little bit of discipline, while it may be be difficult on the front end, on the back end, it is like a feather compared to the regrets of not being disciplined. And we need to notice something very specific from this passage and the sequence of events to really fully understand what's going on here. Notice in this battle, when they got engaged, they got focused, they pulled out the swords. They got engaged. They got after it. But did you see what happened after the swords got involved? These things called hailstones emerged. God showed up in a big-time way and started chucking hailstones. And then what does it say from the Scripture? There were more that died from the hailstones that died from the swords. I believe the progression of events is an eye-opener for us. You see, God doesn't say to us in this battle we have, hey, you sit on the sideline and you do nothing. Fold your arms, I will show up. No, he says, no. You want to win? I want to see some skin in the game. I want to see you get involved. I want you to pull out your sword. And after you pull out your sword, guess what? I will show up. With my power and my strength and my provision, I will I will I will blow you away with what I can do. But first, I want to see you in the game. Let me give you a quote that's not up here, but I think speaks volumes. Here's how it goes: The task ahead of you is never as great as the power behind you. Did you get that? The task ahead of you is never as great as the power behind you. God promises, once you're in, guess what? I will be in. And I'll give you strength and power that you never dreamed possible. I think this applies to the areas that I talked to you about. With my pornography deal, I I had learned over the years that where I found myself struggling greatly was hotel rooms, the pay-per-view channels, even the three-minute free trial whatever. And so I began to be aggressive and disciplined when I would go into hotels. I would say to the front desk clerk, hey, can you make sure the the TV uh, channels are not available? Will you turn that off here? Well, sir, we can't do that. Well, then, can you remove my TV? Of course, they didn't like that. So there were times I actually physically removed the TV. Uh, There was times I would take the TV and turn the screen to face the wall. I would bring in pictures of my family around the room to remind me, why would I want to do that stuff and endanger this? I began to get disciplined and had a strategy for what I was going to do. With my weight, I told you about the 5th 5, meeting at O-Dark 30, the weight scale, the whole bit, we became disciplined. With with the gambling deal, I learned that even watching innocently ESPN, a Texas Hold'em game, could be death for me. And so I disciplined myself to not even turn on the channel when that stuff was on because I knew what it could potentially do to me. I became disciplined. I pulled out my sword. And then God showed up with the hailstones. We've got to do that. If we're going to experience it, we have to do that. We have to get involved and then watch God show up and do amazing things. The last thing we see, and we see this in verses 12-15, to is Joshua to look to God for divine intervention. Let me say it another way. Joshua said, God, I need a miracle. And what did he ask for this particular day? He asked for more time. God, we haven't finished the assignment you've given us. The enemy is still, we haven't finished off the, them off yet. We need more time. And so he pleaded with God to, to, to do something. And God stopped the sun in the sky. And what does it say in Scripture? There's never been a day like it before or since when the Lord did this incredible miracle and allowed them to finish the assignment God had. You know, I believe that miracles are not limited to the Old and New Testament. I believe we 're living with an active God who is in the miracle business today. I have seen people ask for miracle in their marriages and I 've seen marriages restored. I've asked for people who are in financial peril. It looks like there's absolutely no way they're financially going to make it. And God comes in and does a miracle. I've seen people with addictions and habits and behaviors that they they have been stuck in and God showed up, Jesus showed up, and man, they got delivered. They got delivered. Unfortunately, so many times when those things take place, what do we do as people or the world say, wow, you're so lucky, you're so fortunate. What a good coincidence. Man, you just must, it must have been, the, the gods must have been, we, we, we discount the miracles of God and credit luck and coincidence for all these things that happen. So I'm actually on a national crusade to eliminate the words good luck. I just, I just cringe when I hear them. Because I want to say, no, let's bring glory to God. Let's, let's allow God to, to, to be magnified and to be exalted and to be lifted up. Because He did a miracle here. And let's not allow ourselves to fall prey to just thinking that, that, that we just had the stars lined up that day. And so I believe what we see here in this story is the evidence of what can take place if we're going to look, move from a land of bondage to a land of blessing. Again, it's defining your enemy. Knowing his strategies. And then it's declaring war on the enemy. Saying, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do this anymore. And then it's saying, I need faith. A faith that says, God, you are in charge of this situation. And then we need to be disciplined. Do our part. Knowing that God will do his, definitely will do His part if we do ours. And then finally saying, God, I need a miracle. I need an intervention. And when that miracle occurs, we reflect that and bring that all back to God. And say, God, you be glorified. You be lifted up. It's moving from bondage to blessing. I've asked Pastor Neil to come forward and to close our service, to add whatever he would like to to, uh, to this sermon this morning um, and, to, and to extend the, uh, an invitation to you to respond as you see fit. Pastor Neil.
1: As I listened to Rod this morning and I listened to the teachings that he gave us over the weekend, you know, my challenge really to all of us today is not to settle for anything but God's best. You know, um, we, are, we can be held in bondage by certain things in our lives, but in the midst of that we are also held in bondage from things that God wants to give us, love, joy, peace, that sense of wholeness, and all those kinds of wonderful things that really are the fabric of the kind of lives that you and I yearn for. You know, and, and way too often we just settle. You know, we, we we look to God to somehow to give us a spiritual high in the midst of our bondage. You know, somehow or another we can come to church on a Sunday morning or go to our life group and it's just a, a little bit more encouragement to be able to endure the bondage that we're in. God doesn't want just us to endure the bondage that we're in. Or sometimes we look at our faith and, and we see it really as, and, and, and we, we kind of use God to somehow, God is, God is the strength that gives me to manage my behavior. So the stuff I'm in bondage to doesn't doesn't become too destructive in my life. That's not what God wants to give us. What God wants to give us is freedom. So that we can be free from what we're in bondage and we can be free to experience what he really has to give to us. And way too often, we settle. You know, the, the verse that, that God has been just running around in my heart and my mind through this weekend, and I, and I shared it just last night for a few minutes with the, the men as we wrapped up our retreat, is from Second Chronicles chapter 16, where a prophet says to one of the kings of Judah that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth looking to strongly support the heart that is completely his. Now, in the context of that statement by this prophet was that this king, Asa, had settled for less than God's best. He was in a, he was in a crisis, and his northern neighbor Israel had come down and laid siege to them. And through just a, an incredible use of international diplomacy, by enticing another ally to attack his attacker he was able to force them to withdraw and were able to take all the supplies that they left behind and use it to build other cities and most people would look at and say that that was a pretty good pretty good deal i mean what a crafty king we should re-elect this guy you know but the prophet comes and says you know you won the war he said but god was ready to give you peace now you can have lots of battles. In the, in, so didn't you know that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strongly support the heart that is completely His? The challenge for you and I is not just to use God to give us a spiritual high, a sense of encouragement in the midst of our bondage. It's not looking to God for the strength to somehow modify our behavior, but it's interacting with God in relationship. so he transforms who we are so that our, our hearts are clearly and totally his so that he can strongly support us. You saw what happens in the story of Joshua today when that happens. And so today I challenge you, don't settle for anything but God's best. Let's pray and then we'll conclude our service. God, thank you for your word today. You speak clearly to us. You give us every opportunity to experience your best, your strength, your power, your love, your forgiveness, your grace. God, a relationship with you that lasts forever. God, in the moments that we have privately as we sing and as we give our offering, through the work of your Spirit, wonderful ability you have to kind of cut through all the stuff and just reveal the core to us. Show us how we need to be transformed so that we can be set free. For we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. We're we'll going to invite our worship team to come back and they're going to lead us in a concluding song. And then as we begin to sing, I invite our ushers to come forward and receive our offering. And, and as we sing and as we give our offering, Let's ask ourselves, are we really giving ourselves to God in such a way that he can bring us freedom? Let's stand and sing together.